0: Well, good morning, brethren. Good morning. It's good to be in Ohio again. Nice to see you all and those who are joining us on the telecast. I know Mr. Watson is over there in New York, I believe, and Marjorie. And I also know their listeners, viewers rather, from the Toronto area from which we have come, and I bring your greetings on their behalf as well. I noticed the themes, uh, or the theme rather than the songs that we've been singing. As expected, they have a Passover uh, uh, theme, and today I want to continue in that regard. And the title, I want to give this sermon as we see the Passover approaching. It's an opportune time, brethren, because... We know the implications of that very important festival to all of us and to God Himself. You know, I have a confession to make to you all today. I have blood on my hands. And guess what? You have it too. It's not me alone. We are all guilty, we carry blood on our hands. So, before you call the cops, think about yourself, if you're going to call the cops on me. Because, in a sense, we have committed murder. Yes, as horrible as it sounds. We are guilty of shedding innocent blood. And and that is a stain that is on the lives of all of us as human beings. The blood of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53.5 tells us that he, he was pierced for our transgressions. It was our hands that helped. That soldier who thrust that spear and it went into his side. And blood and water came out. The Word tells us that he was bruised for our iniquities, and we did just that. All of those bruises that were over his body, you've seen some of them being depicted in movies, and I remember that movie, The The Passion of Christ, with uh, Mel Gibson, where he was battered to a pulp. I don't know if it was that horrible, but we know it was horrible. All of those bruises and all of those thorns sticking into his head. You know, all of those, the marks that were left, the piercing in the middle of his hands. We did that too. Yeah. Can we ever repay for what we have done to the Christ? Never. Never no matter what we do. In the past, we know the blood of bulls and goats were shed to try to take away sins, but every year they had to do that. But there has been a change, and we'll come to that a little bit later. But I want us to see Passover not just as just a mere ritual where we come here or we will be here on April 9 to wash one another's feet and we will partake of the bread and the wine and we go back home and, and that's it. The implications of the Passover, they're real and they're deep, is not something that was concocted overnight when we see the word of God and how it, throughout the centuries, or in fact, you go back to the earlier years, and we can go back to Genesis forty-nine, ten, where we see, or even Genesis one fourteen, beginning with the time set apart, the appointed times of God, the mo the moeds, and we see that being re- those being repeated in Leviticus twenty-three, and so on. And we come to Genesis 49.10 and we see a very prophetic scripture that have implications from then right throughout the centuries and right into the future. It says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh meaning the one to whom it belongs, the scepter. Or it can also mean one who brings peace. So this is very prophetic. It says, unto him shall be the gathering of the people. People will look towards the Shiloh for hope for redemption, for direction. And we are gathered here just for that, because we have one whom we can look forward to, one whom will be able to rescue us. When we go six feet under and we are helpless and we turn to dust, there's one who is going to rescue us from that. These are the deep implications for the Passover it's a pity the world has missed that completely and get engaged in all these eggs and bunny rabbits and you know insignificant events and you see the deepness the implications of this event we know in Deuteronomy 18 15 again it talks about this prophet When God is going to raise up this prophet from the midst of thee, from among us, so the incarnate one, according to the order of Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, that he would come to take away our sins. And you look in the word of God and you you can see a Passover theme running explicitly and implicitly throughout the whole Bible. Yes, my hands are stained with blood. It had to be that way. Because without the shedding of blood from very God, Jesus Christ himself, Christianity would have no hope. In fact, there would even be a need for Christianity because we would just return to the grave and that's it. But he rose triumphantly from the dead. When we think of a a Roman crucifixion, it's really horrible. I've read quite a few accounts, and it gives you a burning in the stomach, the walls of your intestine, to see what he had to endure for us. A writer says this, a historian rather. He says, death by Roman crucifixion was a result of the whole body weight being supported by stretched arms. So the arms were up, and the whole weight of the body was placed on those arms. When nailed to the cross, there was a massive strain on the wrist, the arms, and the shoulders, often resulting in a dislocation of the shoulder and elbow joints. The rib cage was constrained in a fixed position, which made it extremely difficult to exhale. You know the breathing, you know with the rib cage and all of that, and it was impossible to take a full breath. You know how that, how grueling that can be. Some of us who are asthmatic and we have bronchial problems that when you can't breathe properly, it, it's it can be. I mean, uh, just a few weeks ago, we had a fright, experience at home, when one of my sons, one of our sons, came in and he just walking that, just like three, four weeks ago, he, he couldn't breathe, and we got really, really, you know, I mean, we were about to go to bed, and he worked a late, late shift, and he came in, and he he was on the stairs, and he said he can't go up, he couldn't breathe, so we almost started panicking, but then we calmed down. And we, after a while, we gave him some water and he was able to breathe again. It was just a viral infection. I had, in fact, I had a touch of that during the day. When I was walking, I realized the faster I tried to walk to reach home, I couldn't breathe. But everything turned out fine. So you, when, when you can't breathe, it's, it's terrible. So it was impossible to take a breath, almost impossible to take a breath. The victim would continually try to draw himself up by his feet to allow for inflation of the lungs, enduring terrible pain in the feet and the legs. The pain in the feet and legs became unbearable and the victim was forced to, take tra- to trade breathing for pain. To trade breathing for pain. The length of time required to die from crucifixion would range from hours to a number of days. Wow. Thank God he didn't go for days. According to the word of God, what's the penalty for murder? It's capital punishment. The murder... We're talking about, we call it crucifixion, but this was state-sanctioned murder. In the olden times or in the ancient times, the capital punishment was the guillotine. Or decapitation in a, another form. The, hang, the hangman's noose or the gallows. Nowadays it's kind of, you know, it's kind of morbid to be talking about these things. But you have the electric chair. It's like a smooth thing. You know, you just go off into sleep, and after a while, that's it. Or the lethal injection, and so on. Of all of these, which one would you prefer? I just want to tease your brain. Because remember, we, are, we have blood on our hands. I would prefer None. And guess what? I have someone to thank for that. That's the important thing. I have someone to thank for that. He deserves everything that we have. He owns everything that we have. Doesn't belong to us. Nothing. We come in this world and we're leaving with nothing. Absolutely nothing. All our possessions are going to be left behind because there will be no need for those possessions when his kingdom is established. Those are the implications of the Passover. We have to sing praises and glory to his name, and to tell others who have blood on their hands that one, one single person, once and for all, has paid the penalty, the penalty for our crime. But why is blood such a significant symbol when it comes to life? as we approach the Passover, as we see the Passover approaching, we can meditate on the significance of that symbol. Christ has to shed his blood because in the word of God, blood is is associated with, with life. Why don't we have Orange juice or water running through our veins. Because we wouldn't live. Blood is such an important fluid, if you want to use that term, for our existence. And God being the one who created it, knows best. So when he sent his only begotten son to step down to the level of humanity to be here to become the incarnate one and to shed that blood to shed that life to give life then you see a connection you see a chain that it all is all planned out from even from before the beginning of time Leviticus 17:11 tells us The life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for our lives. It's the blood that is associated with giving us, making us anew. Remember in, in Revelation 21, in verse, around verse 4, it tells us, Behold, I make all things new. So that time is coming when all of what we are going through with all these rituals of the Passover and the days of unleavened bread and Pentecost and so on, we are going to see in the fullness of time how significant that is because Jesus made a very important statement the night of the Passover and I usually reflect on it very very often during this time he said he's looking forward to the time when he will sip of the the cup of the fruit of the vine with us the saints of God, with us in the kingdom of God. So we cannot see that as a kind of Passover that is coming, that is yet future. So this is not just a mere ritual. God desired it, the scripture said that night. It was his wish, his desire, to have it with the brethren that night. And it's going to be, it is still his desire in the kingdom of God, To sip of that cup. With us. Talks about the marriage supper. Of the lamb. To which we are invited as well. Those are the futuristic implications. Of the Passover. And now in our present time. There are implications as well. Because we walk around. As breathing human beings. And we are are flesh and blood. One minute we are here. And another minute we are not. And what hope that there lies in the grave to which we go what hope other than that Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on his mission to earth was indeed accomplished and now he rise triumphantly and sits on the throne waiting or counting down for that matter to return to planet Earth. Earth. Atonement. Atonement for what? Some of the critics and the skeptics would argue. Atonement for what? We don't need anyone to atone for who we are. That's just what we are. Aren't we all sincere, honest, fear-minded people going about our businesses, trying to make a life of our own? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. But the word of God tells us that the heart of man is desperately wicked. That we are, we are all with sin. And if we do not repent before God, we will be punished for our sins. But there's one whom Stands ready. Who has already accomplished the atonement to forgive us? You see, Passover is a time of the implications here in this current lives of our that we live is one of reconciliation. It's like we we were coming here on, on April nine to to renew our commitment with Him to renew. Or like your driver's license expire, we're coming to renew. We don't have to do it. You have to. The significant thing about that is that God is looking at our our attitude and how we we relate to him. So all of those intricate statutes and, and laws that we see in the Old Testament, why? Does God really need us to do all of that? He has his reason and it's the test or Attitude and all, or how we relate to him, if we want to be obedient, are we going to obey him or, or, or mammon? So the implications in our current lives as we walk around each day, as we leave here, as we go to our, our respective dwellings tonight, as we leave tomorrow morning and Monday morning back on the job and so on, we are living the Passover. We are living it because without it we are nothing. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, Christianity would be dead too. But he had to die before he rose. And the death is what we are told that we should come before him as stipulated in the scripture. It's a command, in other words. It's a command. Just remember that anything that has life has blood. It may not be red, but it has blood. Because in it, any moving creature and so on has a form or has blood, whether a whale or a mammal or whatever. And in order for that flesh to survive as a species, the blood has to be used up in some way. But at one time, they had this ritual of every year, the priests would make that atonement for the sins of the people. It became an annual thing. But there comes a time when that offering was done once and for all. In Leviticus 4.1, we read, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of, of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done and shall be against any of them, if the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin, which he hath sinned, a young bullock without blemish, unto the Lord for a sin offering. So we see that provision was made for that offering. And he shall bring the bullock unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord and shall lay his hand upon the bullock's head and kill the bullock before the Lord. Now you think, living in this theocracy, this environment at the time, and you see these things happening and you bring it forward to the 21st century that we live in, what do you think people would think or believe? What, you, what, you, what, what are your thoughts on how people would relate to that? It would be a meaningless ritual. So we don't do that today. We do something more significant. See, Leviticus 16, 14 tells us, that he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his fingers seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people. And bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock. And sprinkle it upon the mercy seat And before the mercy seat, and he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanliness of the children of Israel, because of their transgressions in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remains among them in the midst of their uncleanliness. As simple as you see this, this is prophetic. Prophetic. Because you read the language here about atonement and blood, the mercy seat. And you see, all of this is tied up in exactly what Jesus Christ came to do. The mercy that he extended to all of us through this very act. The blood that was shed, instead of the blood of Bullock's here from his own body that came tumbling down from his body into the dust below his feet. And we also see how the process, the, it, the, the, here it's, it talks about the blood within the veil. We know from the word of God that the, 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 when he died that afternoon, the veil in the temple was even ripped. So this statement or this verse points to something greater to come. Something that is that, that was bigger than the event of atoning through the blood of bulls and goats. Exodus twelve verse 3 We go back to where it began Speak ye unto the congregation of Israel saying In the 10th day of the month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers a lamb a lamb for an house and if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next onto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your lamb, your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take off the blood and strike it on the two side posts of the upper door of the post of the houses. Wherein they shall eat it. And verse 12 to 13. And I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. And will make and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The angel did his job. The angel brought a message of death for the firstborn of Egypt on that night. But notice that there was a protection on those doorposts painted in red. It's our protection today, but not from the event in Egypt. It's our protection today from the event in Cal- at Calgary, at Golgotha. Very significant. And verse 5 tells us that, that the lamb shall be without blemish, spotless. We reflect on the Passover during this time and we, we must realize what that sacrifice meant. We must not be like in the days of, of Jeremiah the prophet when they, they looked for the worst lamb, the, the ones that were sick, the ones with sore on their feet and they brought it up. For sacrifice. And what did God say? Would you bring it to your governor? Would you give them the lame animals? Why are you bringing them to me? And there's a whole lesson in that for us. That our attitude or or we strive for that purity that God expects from us. As as his saints and as people who have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. So the angel of death protected the Israelites. Again, we look at another implication. That protection was for one night. The protection from Calvary was for whole eternity and beyond our life span here on earth. It goes into eternity. So that sacrifice, that protection for that period or that event left a void. And someone had to fill it. A life had to be atoned once and for all. But the life to be taken was no ordinary life. It was not the pagan gods of Molech or, uh, or the countless number of gods that prevailed at the time. It was the Son of God, the Emmanuel, the God who came to be with us. So when the angel of the Lord proclaims his glorious message in Matthew 1.21, we can now see the significance of that and the implications of that, as he was about to fulfill his mission on earth as incarnate one, as our Passover, as our Passover, not our Easter, our Passover. And she, Mary, shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Yeshua, Hesus, Jesus, whatever the language translates. Nevertheless, we know he would, would be a child. We call him baby Jesus at that time. Still not a baby, he's no triumphant, no longer a baby. But a triumphant king who sits on his throne waiting to return, to redeem us from this life. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. And he's the only one who can do that. The only one. No one else. All the other gods are false. He is the only true and living God. That must be proclaimed by his people, by his saints, that there is no other road to the kingdom of God. That there there is no other way to salvation but through Jesus Christ. All the others are wrong. All the others are false. Because he accomplished what only God could have done. In Jesus' time, there were at least 30, three, zero Messiahs walking around saying that they're Messiahs. And some of them even pretending to die or to come to die. But they were all false. Although some people took into that and believed that they were all false. So he came to save the people from their sins. Why? Because the wages of sin leads unto death. And death is the enemy of all of us. Well, he has conquered that. He has conquered that. We look forward to that time when death will be conquered. Because he rose from the dead, conquered death to save us. Out of that death came life out of that death is a promise to all God's people that guess what? Death too is going to die. may sound tongue-twisting and redundant, but death is going to die because of that death. Because in essence, that death is life. That death is life. The blood that are on our hands, or the blood that is on our hands right now, is invisible, insignificant, because of this act. I'm not walking around with blood on my hands, so to speak, because Jesus paid it all. And when the accuser goes before the throne of God with your name and my name, because he he does it just like when he presented himself during the time of Job to accuse him. The accuser goes before the throne of God with your name and my name saying to the eternal such and such a person, John, I hope there's no, or Tom, or Peter, let me call it several names. He did this or he did that. Guess what? Jesus Christ is right there saying, ah, stop right there. That's why I died for them. That's why I died for them. Well, he never gives up. He keeps punching, punching holes. He keeps working overtime, overtime. Do we work overtime for God? You better think about that. Because he's working overtime. And he's not giving up. The word of God says we must, we must um, resist him. And he will flee from us. He will flee. But he's not going to give up because he knows who God is calling. he knows our names are in the book of life. And he wants to get it out. So during this time of Passover, meditate a lot on that. Think very deeply on the implications of this event and what it means for your life. Hebrews 10:1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true forms of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. A very powerful scripture who so many have misconstrued to meaning that the shadow is a bad thing. That we don't need Passover because it's a shadow. Or we don't need God's Sabbath and, and, and festivals because they're shadows of things to come. They're not. The, but the shadows is a reflection of the things to come. So they have it the other way around. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. So they kept reminding, oh, I have to go up this year to do this, we have to do this next year, and it keeps going. It's like a cycle. Why? For it is, as verse 4 says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into world into the world, he said, "Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, a body. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will." Oh God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So deep when you think of, of this statement about the will of God for his son to come to this planet. You know, First John tells us the whole world lies in wickedness. So much evil in the world, and yet he came down be mocked and scourged and accused and ridiculed and so on for us. Verse 8, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. The will of the Father. He came to do. And just as we recall in that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he, what I would describe as a moment of maybe weakness, he asked the Father if it is possible to take this cup away from him. But he said in the same breath, only If it is his will. And he, in this word here, it talks about God's will. That he has come to do your will. He does away the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ Once and for all. So we can claim now righteousness. Not by our own efforts. But through the atoning sacrifice. Through that blood. Every priest stands daily at his service. Offering repeatedly the same sacrifice. Which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time. A single sacrifice for sins he sat down on the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. Romans five nine tells us much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So death brings life. That's the implication, or one of the implications of the Passover. Death has brought life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. As I said earlier, Passover then is a time of reconciliation with God and where we stand with Him. Romans 4.25 adds, He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification first peter 2:24 says he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin to sins and live for righteousness again made possible by this very act by his wounds you have been healed and so we can come here, as you heard earlier, when all our brothers and sisters who are aching or sick, sick unto death and they don't know what, you know how that is, some of us have been through that, you feel hopeless and we shouldn't, we really shouldn't because the word of God tells us that by his wounds we can claim healing. We don't know what if God will grant us that, but we have that channel. Not that we're not going to go to the doctors or anything like that. But we have that channel where we can approach his throne of grace, as was done earlier, to appeal to him for healing. Again, that became possible by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. In Philippians 2, six, we read, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking, form, taking the form of a bond servant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Judas is Iscariot, Judas Iscariot was a man that has taken a lot of flack. He did something that had to be done. He could have he had a choice, but you know he did it. He sold Jesus for a little over three hundred dollars in our current conversion according to one source. But someone had to do it. If Jesus Christ were to return to planet Earth today, do you think they would crucify him all over again? Oh yes, they would. In this politically correct society, this anti-Christian world that we see creeping upon us, they would for sure Judas knew Jesus he walked and talked with him he was chosen by God to be a follower but he forsook the Lord he spent over three, and, over three years three and a half years traveling with him he personally witnessed the miracles of He heard Christ give all his famous discourses and prophecies. He watched as Christ healed the sick, as he raised the dead, as he cast out demons. He, along with the other apostles, was sent to preach the gospel. He was one of the leaders of that apostolic group. But how could such a man betray the Messiah? How? We know in that night of Passover, the word of God tells us that Satan the devil entered into Judas. And you know what happened. Luke 22.3 says, Satan entered into Judas, was called Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. So today Judas is seen as the betrayer, and he truly was. We, during this time, as we see the Passover approaching, let's not betray our God by our actions. Let us not be Judas's. Let us remember that we are are reconciled to him now, that we have been sanctified and that we have been cleansed by his blood and we walk around as righteous people in that sense. So our attitudes and our, our approach to the Passover must be one of humility as he depicting an innocent lamb was led to the slaughter. You look at the characteristics of a lamb and you see some startling traits in that animal. That a lamb is vulnerable. A lamb is not as brave as a goat. A goat will run up a mountain Check up the mountain right up, but the lamb will. Lamb depicts innocence, humility. And here we see the language being described as a lamb led to the slaughter. In Luke 23, 21, what were they shouting? You think they wanted a Jesus? <laughs> They were doing the opposite. Crucify him! Crucify him! Brethren, it was the sins of all human beings that were crying out, crucify him! Crucify him! It was for those sins that he had to die. That's how the blood became stained on us. But when we decide to accept Christ, when we repent, baptize, and accept Him as Lord and Savior in our lives, as we surrender our lives to Him, then we no longer put Him to death. Because the slate has been wiped clean. Surely, He has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Yes, Paul, the Apostle Paul was convicted of his own guilt. He has done some terrible things as the man Saul. Here is a trustworthy, first 1 Timothy 1.15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves. Full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I am the chief. There's an interesting bit of a narrative in the Gospel of Matthew 27 22. Matthew 27 22 it's rather timely as we talk about our current trek as a Christian and as we approach the season of Passover. Matthew 7, 22. Pilate said unto him, what shall, I do? what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, What evil has he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this person. See, you do it. But we look at verse 25. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and our children. So we have that if you're not a Christian, to contend with. But not us. Because we have been reconciled through the blood that was shed. We may have blood on our hands as sinners standing, walking around with the death penalty on our heads because we have not repented. But we have not rejected the Most High God. And so that blood covers us today. And because without it, there can be no forgiveness of sin. There can be no justification. There can be no hope for salvation. Hebrews 9, verse 14. There is a wrath to come, which we read earlier, that we will escape because of this act, a wrath that will be unleashed on this planet, on this earth, and many will realize for the first time, or maybe when it's too late, that indeed Jesus Christ is the only savior for humanity. Hebrews 9 verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. We go through the Passover, we see it approaching, and so that night we are going to come here with that in our, in our psyche, that, that notion embedded in us that this is what we are coming to do. To serve the living God. Because he has purged our conscience from dead works. Verse 16 For where a testament is, there must also be also be there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator lives. He had to die. Passover is about death. It's a memorial of his death. But thank God for Jesus because death has brought life. Death has brought life. The sacrifice has already been made once and for all. John three sixteen says, God, basically God has shown us his love by sacrificing his son. He teaches us in many places how we can show our love to Him by obeying His commandments and so on. Not that the commandments redeem us, but we show our love to Him and to our fellow men. Hebrews 2.10 tells us of His desire to bring many sons and daughters to glory. It's part of the whole plan going back and how will that be achieved phase one has already been achieved because jesus rose from the dead many still question whether he's alive today not knowing that god is sovereign he's in charge he has never lost control Even when we have the terrible disasters and the the terrible weather and the, the, the starvation as we just heard this week terrible starvation in in Yemen and South Sudan and the United Nations appealing for for support. So even when we hear of the famine and even when we hear of Yemen acquiring new missiles and the rumors of wars and the natural disasters and the planes are going down and some governments are out of control and so on, God is still in charge. He knows what he's doing. He was the one who created this universe. He's the architect of life. He's the designer of everything. But the world paints him as some kind of ineptitude God who doesn't know what he's doing. Probably one day he says something and another day he changes his mind. But the word of God tells us that God never changes. He's the same today and forever. The plan that he had from the beginning is still in force. And one day soon, brethren, you and I will come out of this flesh and we'll take on a new form. A new form. A powerful form. Because in the blood is life. Not this life if we want to get really deep. But a life That eyes have not seen and ears have not heard what God has in store for you and I because of this very act of Passover. It's stupendous, it's awesome, it's majestic, it's encouraging and it is inspiring too for us this time of the year. This is not an easy walk for all of us in the body. It's not an easy walk, it's hard. We have the darts coming at us. We come here one week, we hear brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so is no longer with us. We hear of brother so-and-so in the hospital. Or brother, so and so, inflicted with a terminal disease, and we realize our temporariness—that we are here one minute, and the next minute, we are we are gone. We are putting on on the years, and we we have the grey sticking out, and the wrinkles coming on, and we realize that time is moving on. The future seems uncertain in this life, but in the life to come, it's certain. It is certain. We don't know if we'll be here for the next Passover. And so on. Don't even know if we'll reach home. But such is life. So what God has given us to hold on to, to grasp, are events like the Passover. As we see it approaching now, coming on to us in two weeks, we cling on to it and say, yes, this is our hope. In Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on that day. Hebrews 6.4 tells us, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify Since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. We don't want that to happen. If you just keep focusing on God and what he has in store for us. Leave the world behind. We are part of it, but we should not be in it. 1 Corinthians 1.18 tells us that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And we should be a people of power, not a people of fear. A people of power. Because as the song says, there is power in the blood. 2 Second, Second Timothy 1 or 2 Timothy 2, 1 says, do not, verse 8, yes, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And verse 12 says, that is why I'm suffering as I am, Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Presently, trials are getting at us. I don't know of one child of God who doesn't have a child. Show me. Raise your hand. There's none. We all have or you need, child. But remember, the one thing we have in common is that we look towards that one hope. One hope that is in Jesus Christ and no one else. So as the Passover approaches, we see it coming on to us. Let's put on, if we haven't already have on the armor, continue to tighten it around us. And to realize how significant this event is, that it's not an overnight plan. It goes way back. And one day, with our very own eyes and ears and self, we're going to witness every single word that God promised for his people. We're going to see it fulfill if you endure to the end, right before our very own eyes that you're going to rejoin all the people who have passed on before you and even those who are going to pass on after us. One day there will be a grand reunion because we're all going to come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You have the invitation. Remember, you have the invitation. You're walking around with it. You confirm it. You confirm it at your baptism. You tell the Christ and his Father that you will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. When you went down under that watery grave, you became a signatory to that. And that is going to be one great event. I am looking forward to it. Jesus Christ is looking forward to that time when he's going to sit with us and symbolically sip off that cup that the Passover represents. So brethren, let us put our fears aside and let us get a good grasp on the power that God has given us through the shed blood of Jesus the Christ who one day shall burst through those clouds and all of us will truly be living forever the reality of the Passover. So may you all have a very inspiring, uplifting, and meaningful Passover. May God be with you.